ultimately the best language is going to depend on a lot of different variables. You know, how fast do you want to make this, this software product, what your budget looks like, how much you plan on scaling. That all is part of the strategy behind making that decision is not just a technology decision, but a business decision. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name's Rick Nusky, I'm your host, and I'm super excited today because the next topic that we're gonna be talking about, it's an omnipresent thing that surrounds us no matter where we are, what we are doing, and it's all to do with software. Now, if you're into software, this is going to be the call for you because I'm on the line with the wonderful Steve Balistrieri. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, Rick. Welcome. Now, um, you and I were just touching on a few things about Band of Coders, and we're going to take a deep dive into your role as uh, one of the uh, leadership team there. In actual fact, uh, you're the managing director. You're also a software engineer at Band of Coders, and we're going to be talking about all things coding. We're also going to take a deeper look, Steve, into how the team at Band of Coders is helping business owners, entrepreneurs, and uh, enterprise-level organizations bring their software to life. But before we do any of that, Steve, where are you calling in from today? Calling in from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Fantastic. What do you love about the place? Uh, so if you love food, if you love craft beer, if you love a good party and festival, we have tons of all of that. We have probably more festivals than any other place in the United States. Oh, wow. You're a man after my own heart. Now, I know that you have a love of food. Tell us a little bit about how much you love uh, being under the barbell, experimenting in the kitchen. Sure, sure. So, <laughs> um, you know, from a from kind of a younger age, you know, my mom, you know, always made sure to teach me some things in the kitchen. So I knew how to cook when I was out on my own. And that just kind of developed into its own passion. So, uh, you know, outside of you know, work and software and all that. Um, you know, I, I like to stay strong and, and stay fit. Not as fit as I used to be, but that, you know, that happens to all of us. Ditto. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, you know, I spend a, a good amount of time in the gym uh, doing powerlifting type exercises, and, you know, really focusing on strength. And then uh, as far as food, I there's, you know, just a, a endless supply of new recipes and great uh, great things to explore with the, the internet now. So so what do you reckon uh, your most favorite uh, food is? What do you what do you enjoy? Well, I love a good steak, um, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. if I was cooking something to try to impress someone, I'd probably do uh, beef <laughs> bourguignon. Oh, very nice. <laughs> just just yeah. sounds a little bit special on its own, doesn't it? Now I know um, many of us love a, a good game, good online game. I am no ex uh, exclusion to that. I love video games. When when I get the chance, I'm sure very much the same as yourself. Now, what's your favorite game? So lately I've been playing uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild oh, quite a bit. So it's the, the newer Zelda game. I, uh, I It's a little old at this point, but I, I tend to start playing the popular games maybe two, three years after they first come out just because... 
that's that's how I roll, I guess. That's what you do. <laughs> now it's it'd be it'd be a very interesting perspective that you have on the software that drives these types of games. What do you sit there and think about when you're playing a game? Do you ever think to yourself, you know, you hear the likes of the major streamers going, oh, the code behind this is rubbish, it's not a AAA game, and, you know, do you ever have those feelings and you think, wow, how do they, how can they call this a AAA game? Yeah, I mean, I, a lot of the time, so I've never done software for, for games. But, no, no, understood, uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, but just whenever I play them, it's it's just mind mind blowing how many people must be involved to to produce these games. Even honestly, even games that where the quality isn't that good, it's still just a massive feat. And then how do you even test something like that, right? No, like how do you amazing. really test? Yeah something as open-ended as a video game oh it's incredible you know i'm going to date myself really badly here but my first experience was pong on atari way back in the day and if you think sure, about sure. you know those 2d exposures tennis left right at the screen and black and white <laughs> uh, <laughs> right you know, it's just it's transformed the way we exist and live and interact hasn't it software yeah, yeah. I mean, software in general, it's completely changed the world. I uh, So I got my first computer in our house when I was 14. Mm -hmm. So I remember a time before the internet. I, you know, I remember a time before software was something that everybody used, like, knowingly. You know, we all had software yep. in various devices and things like that. But, like, you know until home computers were really a thing every house had a computer uh software was this thing where it's like people only use it for business or only yep. use it for you know yep. whatever mm -hmm. um so it's been strange to be one of those like one of the last generations or maybe the last generation to uh to know a world before you know the internet and software just took over everything yeah, it's just crazy, isn't it? And but but you're fortunate in many respects, as am I, to have you know been at the I guess the pointy end of that uh, that revolution, let's call it, because it's just nowadays I look at my young children and they just embrace it like it's second nature. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's interesting because now there's this whole generation of like digital natives growing up, mm, right? Yep. So uh, you know, like who knows what that's going to lead to in the future. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how that affects society and, and interpersonal relationships too. Yeah, absolutely. Now tell me a little bit about your, I guess you're, you're growing up. Did you grow up in the same location that you're calling in from today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, born and raised in Milwaukee. So beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I want to explore, you know, software very deeply with you in a moment. But before we do that, when, when we're growing up, we're often surrounded by people that, you know, in our formative years, help us to become the people that we are. Did you have somebody like that in your life? And would you mind sharing it? I, I do. But interestingly, not a whole lot of the, that is related to software, but I, I can kind of tie it in. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up refinishing wood floors with my dad. That's what he did. And that's what his father did before him. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, ever since I was a little kid, it was always said, uh, you know, no, he's going to grow up to be a doctor or a lawyer. You know, he's, <laughs> you know, customers would ask, you know, oh, is he going to take over the family business? And that's what my dad would say. He's going to grow up to be doctor, lawyer, whatever, you know, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of took that to heart, you know, growing up with that. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to do something that's more of a white collar job, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
and you know, through, through school and all that, I ended up going into fine art. <laughs> of all <laughs> Which, things. Uh, <laughs> of all things, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so not quite a doctor, not quite a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> but then when I was in art school, I found out, oh, okay, everyone else's parents are doctors and lawyers and paying for <laughs> them to be here. And that's, that's not, my, uh, that's not no. my situation. No, definitely not. Oh, yeah. So, uh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Okay, sure. Yeah, so, uh, you know, w once I realized that I uh, switched majors to graphic arts and eventually found myself uh, getting more interested in, in learning to code and building websites and taught myself how to code and ultimately dropped out of school altogether and just started working. So, yeah, uh, fantastic. you know, th you know, I, I got a lot of, uh, you know, understanding how to just apply yourself and work hard through, uh, through refinishing one of the floors with my dad, you know, hard work was always a, a big, big part of our values growing up. And that's important. So that's, I think that's that what, translated to today. Absolutely. And that's why I talk about it because I think it, it gives you that formation, that discipline that you're going to need to, I guess the stick with itness for, <laughs> for lack of better ways to put it, which you certainly must have as a software engineer. And, um, I'd love to know, given that's the case, what's a daily uh, routine look like for you? Do you get up early and how do you go about your day? So I don't really do a whole lot of code these days. A lot of my work no, no. is really like people, processes, all that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, most days I'll wake up and check email, check with my, you know, my tech leads, make sure there's no fires I need to put out. <laughs> uh, yep. And then the rest of it, I'm, I'm working on you know, trying to understand how we can add more value to what we provide to our customers, trying to understand uh, different ways that we can, uh, you know, kind of package our services or, or different ways that we could resonate with customers and, and help them, especially non-technical customers, help them understand how building software works. Because it, it, what I've found out is people who have not built software before it is it's 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 pretty esoteric it's mm. it doesn't work like most other industries mm. so a big part of what i'm trying to focus on now is just understanding how to better communicate that how to elucidate some of those things that are really kind of odd and unique about software yeah because there's people out there that grasp it and been around for you know since it's since it's uh, inception if you like like myself and then there are other people of the same age group have no idea because they've had a different background and an upbringing so i guess you'd have to very much tailor each conversation to each new client would that be fair yeah yeah and, and i think that's one of the things that that we try to focus on more than i think a lot of people in the industry is just for us to build what you need for us to really build something that's going to add value to your business, mm -hmm. we, we really need to understand your business. We really need to understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Because um, software doesn't work the way most people think it, it does. No, no, absolutely not. Now, tell me, <laughs> I, I think we'll take a, a very deep dive into the core of that in a moment. But let's go back a few steps and look at your journey with Band of Coders and the genesis of Band of Coders itself. How did it all come about? So Band of Coders originally started back in the early 2000s, I believe, and it was the founder and, and some of his college buddies uh, just found out about this, this new thing called the Internet mm. and uh, learned how to build some websites before really anyone else did. And uh, 
they they were able to kind of sell themselves to a lot of large companies just because they were one of the few companies, one of the few people uh, who really understood how to get things onto the internet right as the internet was taking off. Um, so that's that's how they started. Uh, fast forward to maybe about five years ago when I started the Milwaukee office. Mm-hmm. Um, so interestingly enough, I I responded to a, a, a Milwaukee Slack channel uh, request for someone who you know someone who knows Angular for a side job, right? So I, yep, I responded yep. to that and was introduced to uh, Bobby, the CEO, and uh, we got to talking. I expressed interest in you know wanting to kind of leave my corporate job and and do uh, do something on my own, and he that turned into well, you know, let, let's talk about starting an office with us in Milwaukee. Yeah, um, fantastic. I love these sorts of stories because, yeah. you know, there's people, <laughs> I think that's just as important, uh, for, I guess, uh, for people who might be interested in this, who will be on the call today. Not only are we talking, obviously, about your role in the more strategic operational management people type of thing, but people need to understand the people behind the business. And I think you put a lot of focus on that. I've checked out your website. And how important do you do you feel that that is to have, I guess, a face of the brand out, out and about in the, in, the, in the wild, as it were? I, I think it's really important because that's ultimately a lot of a lot of these bigger, more strategic types of work like software development and all that. Mm. Uh, it requires a lot of mutual trust. It requires a lot of um, just your ability to work with those other people. And so I think having that kind of personal brand out there, having that uh, that connection really helps make those relationships work um because then when there's hard times when there's problems we know based on the mutual trust based on that relationship that we built and we've cultivated uh that we'll get through it and it will make sure it's okay yeah absolutely i and i and i think that's critical because if you think about some of the language the software language that you're involved with people like myself have never heard of some of these things. Tell us a little bit about the types of software languages that are out there without going too deep. Just give us some names. I know that there's a heap of them. Oh, sure. I mean, I I guess what I'm seeing most recently is Mm. uh, JavaScript is kind of taking over the world. Uh, You know, you used to only really use JavaScript to make things move on a web page. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now you can write entire applications in, in JavaScript using different frameworks. So, you know, that, that would look like Node.js on the back end, React or Angular on the front end. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, that's all still JavaScript. It's just different uh, libraries and frameworks that are kind of built to give you a head start. Uh, yeah. We also still see a lot of Python, a lot of Ruby.net. A lot of the the Microsoft technologies are still popular for for different types of industries, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then you know, there's always edge case, you know, kind of legacy technologies that are still around, like PHP and uh, you know, different uh, you know proprietary software for different types of old data centers and stuff like that. So, so it'd be very difficult to suggest what would be the most reliable and stable language out there. Do you think there is one? No, I mean, it, it, ultimately, the best language is going to depend on a lot of different variables. You know, mm. how fast do you want to, how fast, how quickly 
do you want to make this this software product? Uh, what your budget looks like? Uh, how you know how much how much you plan on scaling? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, is it okay for us to build it very quickly right now, with the intention of throwing that all all away and building a better product mm-hmm. as you you know gain more traction? It's all. That all is part of the strategy behind making that decision is you know, ultimately it, it, it's also not just a technology decision, but a business decision. Yeah, absolutely. Short term, long term, medium term, all that sort of stuff. Do you have a, a favorite software language yourself? Um, I used to really enjoy working with Ruby. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a quirky, quirky little language that uh, is, is, is kind of fun in, in the way that uh, it's it, it kind of thinks about programming a little bit differently, um, which is both a, a pro and a con. It's it's fun. It's it's delightful to work with, but mm-hmm. uh, it's also got a got a little bit of a learning curve. If, if you're coming to it from another language, it's it's quirky. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, I, I uh, having kids myself, and they love their computers, and they seem to, as we talked about earlier, find it to be second nature. How important do you think it is to have in the, I guess, the school curriculums and colleges and so forth to have uh, a focus on software development as an educational stream for them? So that's, that's a really great question. Um, I see more and more a lot of people pushing this idea of, like, software development needs to be required curriculum in schools that's Mm. the code is the new literacy things like that and i I think it's i think it should be part of curriculum at least introductory but not everyone's going to be a software engineer not everyone's going to be a coder Mm -hmm. um but i do think one thing that i noticed as i taught myself how to code is the more i learned about code the better i started understanding math math that I didn't understand earlier because ah. it it gave me a new way of looking at logic. Um, so I think it, I, I think the value that we could get out of introducing more programming curriculum in, in earlier earlier in school really comes down to just exposing kids to different ways that you can apply the same concept, different ways that you can apply knowledge that you learn in other domains. And then maybe some of them will go on to be software engineers, but the ones who don't will probably have found, oh, I understand math better now because I'm doing similar things in code, but working with it in a different way that helps me understand it better. Yeah, they seem to be interdependent, don't they? I don't think you could ever live um, one without the other. And now I I wonder, um, with Band of Coders, do you have a global base and what's your best type of client? Sure. So we, global is, is an interesting word. So we, we work in the Americas, right? So yep, we, yep. we have an office in Argentina and mm-hmm. we have employees scattered throughout South America, North America. Um, we have a few in Europe as well. Yep. Uh, but primarily we, you know, all of our people are in the Americas, right? Uh, as far as ideal client, you know, I, I think we really do best with uh, either companies who've tried to outsource before to other countries or, you know, whether it's South America or India or wherever they might have tried to do that before and, and, and maybe didn't have a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it, it's it gets really tricky working across cultures, across time zones, things like that. Yeah. And I think we've found a way to, to, to solve a lot of those problems that I think a lot of people aren't even aware of when, when you're trying to work that way. Um, and then I would also say we work really well with uh, like startups who have funding, maybe have revenue, uh, have someone who really understands the business that they're trying to operate in, but they don't have full-time tech staff. They don't have full-time uh, software developers and, and they need to keep building that product and they need someone to help them kind of navigate that whole world, um, you know, without having to kind of play musical chairs with a technical partner who, you know, is working purely for equity. And then six months later, they get a better deal and they move on. And now they're stuck with, you know, no one again. Right. So, absolutely, uh, yeah, there'd be a lot of people on today's call, um, Steve, who are starting up their they have somewhat of a, I guess, a revenue stream coming in and they've got this idea. And I see a lot of people, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, they go to these dedicated stores where you can buy this brand new software that's out there. It's off the shelf type things. Whereas, and then they try to sticky tape different solutions together to get from point A to point B and taking their, I guess, their, their customers, clients and patients through their buyer's, buyer's journey. Um, but that's a really problematic way of doing it because things break. So tell us a little bit about the speciality of Band of Coders. Do you take people from, you know, through the entire journey and do you make something custom for them? Is that how it works? Generally, yeah. If, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that's going to work the best if a company can afford it is cost, custom software. Yeah. Um, for companies that are just starting and maybe they maybe they are cautious to dip into custom software. There are a lot of things where we can rely on different services that are already kind of, you know, maybe they've built one, one feature yeah. that we can leverage and, and pull in and integrate those different services together to really make a product. Um, you know, I, I think that's a good way to start for a lot of companies, mm -hmm. um, especially if they maybe have funding, but they're still trying to figure out market validation or still trying to figure out revenue. Uh, but once, once you're ready to scale, you, you will reach a point where using different services or different pieces of software that you integrate together becomes more and more of a struggle. This and then that's when that, we would build custom. Yeah. This comes back to that idea of having something, you know, more, more like an, a research and development piece of software just to test a, I guess, test a concept for a company comes into play, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I, I like using the term like minimally viable product a lot. Ah, yes. Um, yep. You know, classic, classic startup buzzword, but it's <laughs> it, it has its place, you know. Mm -hmm. So in terms of, um, you know, looking into the future, we've started at um, the start, like we all do, we've got something in place. And um, I think about the idea, this, this, this need to future proof the things that we build in software. How important is future-proofing software, giving it the ability to grow and change with a business? It's, I think, one of the things that is the most difficult and often missed by non-technical people in business is the, the cost of building software that's not maintainable, that's not yeah. easy to expand on and iterate on. Um, so like, 
code quality matters. <laughs> it, yeah, of course. It, it, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's similar to health, right? If you don't take care of your health now, well, you're going to pay the doctor now or pay the doctor later. later and it yeah. becomes much more expensive to pay the doctor later, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and same thing with code quality. Absolutely. I, um, I sit here and I think to myself, you see a lot of stories about um, new software development trends coming through. You hear a lot about AI. And I'm wondering, Steve, if you could share with us what you're seeing um, as an insider, I guess you'd say, in the industry. What's coming out that's going to be commercially viable in the near future? Is it AI? Is it something else? So AI is definitely making some interesting strides, at least uh, from a public perception lately with that new chat, chat GPT, mm -hmm. I think it's called. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty exciting. I think that's going to change how we interact and search for information. I think we're still a long ways away from AI really taking over the world. Yep. I think AI is going to, is in the near term future, in the next five years, I would think AI is going to really help us uh, accelerate what what we already do a little bit quicker through our, us doing the work, right? So it's going to help yep. us research better. It's going to help us uh, answer questions quicker, right? Um, I, I, I think of, if, if you can remember back to the earlier days of search engines, there was one called Ask Jeeves. Yep. And the the way it was sold in commercials and all that stuff is you could type a question and it would answer your question. Now that's not at all how it worked, <laughs> but that is where we're going with AI. We're we're kind of already there, um, where you can really ask a question and the AI will aggregate all this data and format it into a response that's a little bit more human like, a little bit more in depth than just showing you a list of websites, right? I can't help, I can't you, help but th think of Alexa when you say that. Yeah, I, I, I don't have an Alexa that those kind of devices scare me a little bit. Oh yeah, <laughs> but... <laughs> don't worry, I'll, I'll get freaked out every day. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd, I'd rather not, if I'm going to be wiretapped, you need to pay me. I won't pay for <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, they got me then, haven't they? <laughs> now, I'm just wondering if we can explore a little bit more. I think it was Elon Musk, please correct me if I'm wrong, who said that we should be terrified of AI. What's your perception there? I So I, I do really lean more into the direction that Elon Musk does with uh, the perception of AI. Mm. On one hand... If, if we do reach that sort of uh, human computer singularity where you know we've fully merged with AI and leverage it you know like a, like a neuralink or something like that yeah. um, I think it's one of those things where you're either going to have to join that or essentially become like you know the the equivalent of like a, a modern day hunter gatherer tribe you know where it's just your you know, centuries behind the rest of the world. Um, yeah. So I think you'll see some interesting social things happen when, as as we approach that more and more. Absolutely. I'm loving this call. There's going to be a lot of people on this call who are, you know, their ears are pricked up. They're really listening into this. Now, I know that, you know, there's the desktop crew and then there's the mobile app group and, you know, never shall the two <laughs> combine. What are you seeing? Is there a bigger take up on mobile apps nowadays or is there still a space for... Uh, desktop um, computing and software? 
I think it really depends on the context that your user is going to use your software in, right? Mm -hmm. So like business applications, I think desks, desktop often is still, still kind of the way to go. People are still working from their laptops, still working from computers. Even if they're using a tablet, it's still very much like using a, a desktop or a laptop computer. Yeah. Um, but for consumer apps, I mean, I have friends who don't even have a laptop. They, they, they only have a mobile phone. Um, that's it. Yep. So, and I think that's going to be continuing to grow where if, if you work a job where you, you know, you're not at a desk, you're not at a, you're not in a chair all day. <clears throat> um, you're probably just not going to have a, a, a laptop uh, unless you're, unless you have a hobby that's related to it. Uh, and then also thinking about like the developing world, we're, we're living in a, in a time and we have been for at least a decade where uh, globally, the majority of internet users, like they have a, a mobile phone, but they, they don't really have the kind of infrastructure that, you know, Western countries or developed countries might have. So, you know, they, they might not even have a reason to have a desk or a laptop. They simply have a mobile phone and they, they have internet. And that's the only way that they interact with the internet is through a phone. Yeah, it's interesting. I've also noticed that the vernacular changes uh, up to recently, you know, no, a, lot, a lot more people seem to be referring to websites as apps. Why is that? Even though they're technically still websites on a browser page. Yeah, I, so the way I would di differentiate between like a website and like a web app Mm -hmm. is you think of websites where you kind of just go there to get information about a business, you know, like a brochure, but it lives on the web. That's yeah. a website. Yeah. Um, but anything where you're, you're, you're logging in and you're doing stuff and connecting with people or using it like a tool, that's really an application. It's simply an application that lives on the web. Um, Got it. Yep. Fantastic. Oh, I'm, I'm, again, I'm loving this call. There's just so many different avenues that we could take this conversation. But um, I know that mobile apps is a big part of Band of Coders. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you can do with mobile apps. Oh, it's it's pretty endless but, at this point. Vast and varied. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think one of the things that I, I think we're going to see a lot more of is making use of the different things like Bluetooth and, you know, radio frequency based type technology where you can have things that interact with uh, thing, you know, things that emit signals, you know, throughout a, a store or throughout your home. Yep, yep. Um, you know, the, we, we see that kind of most used with uh, the, the, the little Apple uh, oh yes, the dongle things, the little pods. Yeah, the little. I know the ones you're talking about, the tracking devices. Yeah, the AirTag. That's I think that's AirTags. Air that's the one. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, and uh, so I bought one for my keys, and you know I've seen different iterations of that before Apple. And uh, what's really interesting with this one is if you're within like 30 feet, the phone will actually start pointing an arrow in the direction oh. of wherever your object is located. It's no way. And, and if you, <laughs> yeah. And if you look at the technology behind it, they're also leveraging everyone else's devices that are connected to the internet for those location services. Yeah. So your phone is helping locate other people's objects 
without you even knowing it. It's like a pseudo network, isn't it? It is. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. Oh, you know, you must be like a kid in a candy store when you, you know, just the way you were talking then, you're still very excited about, you know, the software space. And it's a real credit to Bandicoders, the work that they're doing. Again, I've gone over the website and this is not just some sort of blow, a blow by organization. Um, you guys have got some pretty significant things going on now. Um, if somebody's coming to you and they're, that they're a business owner, um, you know, and they've got those funds and they're looking to create a design. How do you go about actually onboarding them and creating a design that's going to match their needs? So one of the most important steps with developing software, building, really building any kind of a product, I would say, but especially with software mm. is before we even write any code, we we're going to want to do a discovery phase. And what that typically looks like is we're going to get on a few calls and it'll vary how many calls and how long it'll take based on how complex what you want to build is. But we really take time to, to have you really explain to us what it is that you're trying to do and why it's important. Um, and, and, and we take a collaborative approach. You know, if we have ideas, if we know of technologies that maybe you're not aware of, but we understand what you're trying to do and, and understand your, your business and your industry, we're going to bounce ideas off of each other and see, you know, okay, especially when you pull in different variables like budget and timeline and time to market, all those things, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sure, you could tell us exactly what you want to build, but we know what's possible and we know what's out there to be leveraged. And I think it really works best when we can collaborate on building a solution together. Um, because otherwise, if, if you're just telling us what you think needs to be built, we can build that, no problem. But, um, you know, we don't know anything about your industry. And if you're coming to us, you're, you're hopefully coming to us because you need a partner who knows about technology. Yeah, that, that idea of collaboration has just hit the nail on the head for me. So if you're on this call and uh, you're looking to connect where I'm just about to share the details. So in, in fact, uh, Steve, what is the process to connect with you and where are people going to go? Sure. So if, if, if you guys reach out to, uh, to us through bandofcoders.com, um, you can connect to us through, uh, through a phone number that's listed there. Uh, email us. There's a contact form right on there. Uh, you know, really, that's the best way to, to reach out and connect with us. Beautiful. Look, uh, I've seen the website. Certainly go and check it out at bandofcoders.com. I'll be making sure that that link is available to you no matter where you see the post. As per normal, you're going to find that link back to Steve and his wonderful team. Steve, I've really enjoyed this call. Thank you so very much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Rick. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.